Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, welcome to the first of our three Believe in Blazers podcasts for this week. We're going to be with you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So if you have heard Believe in Blazers uh, podcast, well, Blazers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network in the past, uh, we're taking it to a whole new level, whole new level. Brian Wheeler with you. I was with the Blazers for 21 seasons. Had the pleasure of uh, being with our first guest uh, for seven of those. And, uh, in fact, we could have had many, many guests for our first uh, installment of the newly revised uh, Believe in Blazers podcast. But we chose somebody that uh, we knew was going to bring big-time population to our followers and to our participants in uh, picking up this podcast. So this is the first-ever podcast that I've ever hosted uh, but it was not, I know it's not the first podcast that this gentleman has been a part of. And I'm speaking of the head coach of your Portland Trailblazers, Terry Stotts. Coach, uh, thank you so much for being a part of this monumental milestone event. Brian, I'm honored to be your first guest on this uh, inaugural podcast. So thank you very much for having me. Now, for those who uh, may not recall, uh, we used to do an interview uh, on every pregame show on our Blazers radio network before every Blazers game, home or road. We also did an interview on every post-game show uh, following the home games. But I looked it up because I was a little curious myself. Do you realize that it's been 720 days since we did our last formal interview about the team? 720 days. Uh, Can you possibly put into words um, how long it took you to adjust to not having me be a regular part of your game day life? (laughs) <laughs> well, you know what? That's almost two years. And uh, believe me, I've, I've, I, I really like Travis Demers, who, who uh, replaced you. However, nobody can completely uh, take your place. Or, or twist language or try to, try to back into a corner but not be successful in getting you there because you were always far too smart to allow that to happen. But uh, I had to try, and you always understood that, which was really a fun part of our exchanges. Um, your ball club. Let's talk about it. Splitting a couple of games over the weekend, blowout victory over Detroit on Saturday, uh, tough loss to Miami uh, last night. How would you assess the couple of games? Well, two different games. Uh, the Detroit game, obviously, they were uh, a young team uh, going in a different direction as far as uh, you know rebuilding and things like that. And then we played a very good team against Miami who had a couple days off and uh, really – uh, defended us well. So uh, it, I think those two games kind of highlight what can happen in the NBA. You have the high of Ennis Cantor getting 30 rebounds, uh, filling in for Nurk. It was just a, a great evening uh, to be a part of. And then the next night you have an extremely disappointing home loss against a team that, you know, they're in the, they're in the hunt in the East and we're in the hunt in the West. And um, they kind of took it to us. So 
those are the highs and lows of the NBA in the span of uh, in the span of 48 hours. You mentioned Ennis. He's been uh, really reliable for you. The only guy on the roster that's played in every game. He's averaging a double-double for the season. That historic game you talked about, uh, the franchise record of 30 rebounds along with 24 points. Um, he's, he's proven to be a very pretty handy guy to have around. You know, I, I've said this many times, but to have a, a player of uh, Ennis's talent as your backup center, I don't know where we would be. And, and you could say the same thing two years ago when he was when Nurk got hurt late in the season and Ennis became our starting center and we went to the conference finals, to have a player uh, of his ability as a backup center is really a luxury. And in the two seasons he's been with us, he's really made a, made a difference. Now your starting center, uh, Yusuf Nurkic, uh, did not play on Saturday, did last night. Interestingly, after the game with the Heat, uh, he visited with the media and said uh, that he felt that he and his teammates – we're not on the same page defensively and that they're playing too selfish offensively. And this was followed by him saying that I really don't like to call people on the carpet, uh, but, but, but he, he didn't call people out by name, but it was, uh, it was, it was a sentiment that seemed to be born out of some frustration, which is certainly understandable after a defeat. But uh, uh, what did you think of that? And, and do you share any of his sentiment about what's going on uh, with the, with the team right now, both offensively and defensively as he charted uh, both uh, aspects? Well, I didn't. Uh, I didn't hear or or read the comments. Um, this is the first I've heard of it. But um, I think after a game like that, there's there's no question uh, that you can see where there's areas to improve. And we've lost we've lost four out of six against all playoff playoff contending teams, uh, some of the best teams in the league, and that can be very frustrating for players and coaches. So. Um, Look, I, I think from a defensive standpoint, our, our struggles have been well chronicled throughout the year. Uh, we have to get better. Having Nurk back has helped, and it will help going forward. Uh, once he's able to play, play his full minutes, uh, that will be very beneficial for us from a defensive standpoint and offensively. Uh, you know, I struggle with it uh, because we've been a top seven offensive team all year, and, you know, the style of play, it, it's not uh, one right now with a lot of passing and movement. We don't, we're uh, in the bottom assist. So there is some truth to the fact that uh, our passing, we could do a better job passing. But at the same time, we've had a good offense all year. So it's kind of a, a little contradictory at times. And I think it's something that we're dealing with. You know, you mentioned um, um, not necessarily knowing what Nurk had said uh, after the game until, until I read you those quotes right now. You know, they give you this 10-minute uh, cooling-off period after games uh, before you have to uh, talk to the media and so forth. Uh, uh, and sometimes I always think, depending on how a game, game goes, that that maybe isn't necessarily enough to really uh, diffuse whatever emotions are going on. Um, do you recall that have there have been times where you really had to, to tell, talk to yourself before you begin that session with the media to say that, now be careful now to make sure you don't uh, don't exhibit some frustration here or or have you at times maybe used it in a calculated way and saying that eh, I'd like to get a get a point across I may be coming across a little bit more um, maybe more angry than I might normally to to uh, to show that I'm frustrated with the way our team is playing I mean how, how have you have you sometimes have to put some thought into that media session depending on how the game has gone uh, yeah I do uh, but you know I'll say this one is. I don't, and you know me, I don't use the media to get my point across to 
to players or, you know, if, if there's something I, I, I like to keep things in house, um, whatever, whatever we're dealing with. Sometimes I'm criticized for uh, not throwing players under the bus or not throwing the team out or using the media to get a point across. I just, I know other coaches have done that. That's just not my style. Um, you know, I usually go into the media session uh, with uh, kind of an open mind, knowing though that uh, the questions are going to be tougher after losses uh, and everybody's probably going to be in a good mood after wins. So it's, uh, it's, uh, I think after losses, it's, it's much more difficult because in some ways you have to explain uh, why uh, things went the way they went. And, you know, you don't want to come across as making excuses or placing blame. So it's, um, I think it's, um, you know, it's a tight rope that you have to walk at times. People uh, always talk about how fandoms are different in various NBA cities. Uh, have you noticed, uh, is there a difference in the type of questions, maybe the, the angle to the questions that you might get in, uh, say, an Eastern city like Philadelphia, for instance, or New York uh, versus a, uh, um, somebody someplace out West like Utah. I mean, uh, can you sense a difference in, in what the media is looking to accomplish or maybe where their, uh, where their angles are and what stories they're looking to, uh, to arrive at based on the questioning that they have in the city that they're located? Well, I think there are two parts to that question, Brian, is that one is, um, you know, the team, the, the media that follows the team. Um, and so you're, you're talking to that group of media, before and after every game. And so that group of media, I don't get the, I won't get the same questions from an opposing media person because they're really not that in tune with our team. They'll ask a, you know, an, an overall question about our team or their team. But, you know, when you're, when you're speaking with the, the same media members every day, um, there's that familiarity of uh, in the relationship. And so that can be uh, trying at times, but, uh, the other part of your question is certainly when, when you're talking to media in general, whether it's uh, your local media or opposing media, everybody is looking for an angle for a story, whether it's a, a, a certain player style of play. Uh, and so you can tell by the questions that you receive. And a lot of times uh, it's from the, the non-local media that, that they're going in a certain direction uh, about, with their story or with their article or whatever, they, whatever it is. And you can kind of go along that line, but you know, those type of questions, a lot of times those are pregame questions as opposed to postgame questions. But um, you know, postgame questions are generally asked by your local media. And it, that's a different, uh, that's a different relationship. Knowing you for as long as I have for all these many years, uh, uh, I would say that if, if, if somebody, um, well, for many walk of life, but, but let's take the media since we're talking about them had an issue with you or a problem with you, that that's more of a them problem than a you problem. But, uh, but uh, you know, when you've had an occasional dust up uh, to whatever degree with uh, a media person, especially if it's a local person that you may tend to see or talk to more than once, um, how, how have you, how, has there been a, a, a general way that you've handled that? Have you, have you tried to, uh, um, I know maybe you've let some time pass, maybe you talk to them the next day after practice and the next time you see them, is there, there, there a general way that you've handled those situations where you kind of try to get back on the same page and make sure that there's no uh, hard feelings being uh, harbored going forward? 
yeah, I think especially with local media, the fact that, and this year is certainly different because of uh, COVID and doing media on Zoom. Uh, the media doesn't come to practice. There's not the face-to-face interaction, uh, the sidebars. I think it's a little different in, you know, in previous years. Uh, and you know, the adage of media is like, if, if there, if something is said critical, you know, you show up the next day. Uh, and I think everybody's got a job to do, you know, they've got their job. I've got my job and, you know, understanding, I think the understanding part of it is important on both sides. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I don't, I think it's pretty universal, uh, no matter what market you're in, that you're going to have have those dynamics between uh, between the the players and coaches and the media. It's just uh, that's part of uh, part of what we do. You're listening to the Believe in Blazers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, Brian Wheeler with our first installment with uh, Trailblazers head coach Terry Stotts. Uh, let's get back to your center. Uh, Nurk also saying after the game last night that uh, he felt his health was uh, was getting better and better. Um, will you continue to monitor his minutes at least through the end of the regular season? I know he had them uh, increased a little bit going into last night. You know, it's, uh, my hope is that, uh, eventually there will no longer be a minutes restriction and I don't know what it's going to be tomorrow night against Boston, but, um, you know, the goal is that he gets to be a hundred percent and can play, um, as many minutes as we need him to play. Um, so when that, when that, I, I think that's going to happen. I just couldn't tell you when. Uh, Norman Powell has uh, fit in very nicely for you since being acquired from Toronto. Uh, how do you feel about his contribution so far? You know, I, I really like Norman. I think he's been a good fit for our team on both ends of the floor. You know, it's uh, in the short time he's been here, I think he's established himself as uh, a very good defender for us and also a, a third option offensively. And, you know, he's shown that he can get to the basket. He can shoot threes. He can get to the free throw line from the offensive standpoint and defensively. Uh, he has very good, uh, very good fundamentals. He comes from a good system in Toronto. Obviously, they won a championship. He came into this league as uh, he made this league as a defender, and his offense came around. So I think it's, um, you know, it's it's been a very good addition for us. We mentioned he was acquired at the trade deadline. One of your former bosses, uh, Bob Witsit, uh, had a uh, nickname of Trader Bob, and of course, you were with him in in Seattle, and he certainly had a great tenure. Uh, in, uh, in Portland, and yet a lot of his deals were made, most of them were made, in the offseason. He wasn't necessarily a big fan of, um, of trade deadline deals. Um, you know, as you look at it from a coaching perspective, um, do you like those kind of deals? You've actually, I think, benefited from some pretty good players being acquired at the deadline during at least your time in Portland. Well, uh, I think it depends on your team and your situation. Um, you know, integrating a new, a new player uh, after you've played – 40, 50 games, 60 games is, can be a difficult transition for the team and for the player. Uh, that being said, I don't think we get to the Western Conference Finals if we didn't uh, add Ennis, Ennis Cantor and Rodney Hood to the team at, the, at that deadline. Uh, so that was very important. Uh, previously, uh, we, made a, we traded for Aaron Aflalo, I think, in my third year, and you know, we had the injury to Wes and Aaron got hurt. And so uh, I think the jury was still out on that, on that move. Uh, I think it's having, adding Norman, Norman is a really good player. And as much as we, we, we will miss uh, Gary Trenton, he's playing very well in Toronto. Uh, I don't think there's any question that, that Norman has made us a better team. 
I think some people um, evaluate trade deadline deals by looking at how long a particular player might be with a club when in reality, maybe their best contribution is for what they provide for the rest of that particular season that they're acquired. And, and maybe that's not taken into account as the primary focus of whether it was a good deal or not. Uh, some people say, well, if he didn't stick around for one or two more years after that, that means it was a bad deal. When in effect, you were essentially getting him to help you finish out that season. Yeah, uh, I think uh, the evaluations of trades, I think, can be very difficult. Uh, you have to know the motivations of both, uh, both the team, uh, the player, and the, and the team that uh, let him go. Um, you know, and also short-term versus long-term. Uh, you're right. The, did the player stick around or not? Uh, was that important that that player stuck around? It's, uh, did you do it just to get over the hump for that season? So I, I think when you evaluate some trades, I, I think it's very difficult just to make, a, you know, well, that was a good trade, bad trade. Um, I think everybody in the moment does what they think is in the best interest of their franchise. And it could be short term, could be long term. Now, you benefited from this when Ennis arrived, but uh, for the most part, it just seems like this particular aspect of uh, NBA maneuvering for roster uh, alignment just seems to be uh, somewhat slanted toward big-name teams, uh, big market teams, teams that are big winners, uh, which is why I've never been a huge fan of the buyout situation. Um, And uh, what has been your take on, on whether or not that's been a beneficial thing for the NBA general and from a competitive standpoint? Uh, that's difficult to say. You know, I, I don't think that the buyout situation is going to go anywhere. I'm personally not a, not a fan of it, but I don't know. I don't have a solution for it. So it is what it is. Um, uh, it creates some player mobility uh, from team to team. Um, it is beneficial for the team who is buying the player out. Uh, it's beneficial for the player. And it's beneficial for the team acquiring it. So, um, it is what it is, um, and I don't think it's going anywhere. Yeah, that's the sad part. I think I think you're probably right. It probably isn't going anywhere. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was really dead set against it until until Linus came along. Then I said, hey, there's some benefit here. I could maybe just just had not seen the benefit of it. So maybe just maybe a few more situations that arise like that, maybe I'll become a, a bigger fan of it. But uh, you did add another new face, uh, Ron Hollis Jefferson, former Blazer draft choice that. Uh, Never played for the team, traded on draft day. But uh, over the weekend, signed to a 10-day contract. He played him a little bit in both games. Uh, do you see potential for him to be a regular contributor going forward and possibly earn a full-time roster spot for the rest of the season? Well, that's to be determined. Uh, obviously, he's been in the league uh, four or five years. Uh, he, he's an established player. We know what he can bring, particularly at the defensive end. Uh, I think it's a little early to say what, what his role and what his future is with the team. I was glad he was able to get on the court against Detroit, but I think he gives us uh, some insurance policy when teams go small and we need a perimeter defender. A guy will do some dirty work, get some rebounds, uh, make some hustle plays. So I think there's, there's always a, a place for guys like that. Um, and we'll see, we've got 19 games left. Um, the important thing is we do what we can to win those games. And if he can contribute to those wins, he will. So your team currently occupying the sixth spot in a tightly bunched Western conference, but uh... You're well within striking distance of the fourth spot, which would, of course, get you home court advantage in at least the first round of the playoffs. Uh, the health of your group collectively has improved. So do you feel confident about uh, what is really a typical Terry Stotts coach to Blazer team to do, a late season push to potentially move up in the standings? Well, that's the goal. You know, it's the fact that we've gotten C.J. and Nurk back, uh, that we should be a better team 
uh, I think a lot of people know our this, the remaining games. We have a tough schedule. We got 14, uh, 14 or fifteen games against teams over five hundred. So it's a uh, it's a challenging stretch for us. But we've had success after the All Star break before, and and we're going to need that same type of success. So um, it should be a it should be an interesting end of the season. Uh, we know uh, that some things in our world uh, have uh, been a little crazy in the last. Uh, year and a half or so, but uh, they seem to be starting to get back to normal after the worst of the pandemic situation. I know NBA life is not totally as it was before. Um, can you give folks an idea of traveling, for instance, how that has, how that has changed road trips, getting to even the road games, uh, not to mention playing them, but, but just, uh, just what, how road trips maybe have been affected and, and are not quite to uh, travel is not quite the same as it used to be. Well, the biggest, uh, the biggest impact is once we get to the hotel, you know, we're limited to staying in the hotel or we can uh, leave the hotel for an hour. Uh, it used to be just for an hour for a walk. Now we can leave it for an hour twice. Um, you know, dining on the road, we can't go out to restaurants. So I think uh, the biggest difference and the biggest challenge is what we do once we arrive at the hotel, once we arrive in the city, uh, just what we are limited in doing uh, is the most challenging part. Uh, there's little things like, uh, you know, we don't travel our, uh, radio or t TV people. There's fewer people on the plane. We're separated on the plane. Uh, ordinarily when we arrive at a, at, um, in a city, there are two buses. Now we have four buses. So everybody can be uh, distance while they're on the bus. Um, we do the testing, uh, every day, uh, on game days, we test twice a day. Um, when we do have food at the, at the hotel, uh, we have to be spaced 12 feet, so it's not like you can sit down at a table with three or four people, can't go have a team dinner. Uh, so it's just uh, there's a lot less interaction. We don't do shoot-arounds. We have walkthroughs in the ballroom, which we uh, used to not do. So it's uh, there have been a lot of changes, mainly obviously because of, uh, because of COVID and the protocols. And do you really, uh, you really don't practice much on the road either? Is that, is that, is that a ballroom situation too, for whatever you do? Uh, no, we, we can get to a gym. Um, uh, and we're, you know, being selective about when we do. Uh, one thing is that we, a lot of times we're spending the night rather than traveling after the game, we spend the night. So when you travel the next day, uh, we might have a, a health and performance session at the hotel. We may go to the, go to the gym. Like when, when we played the Clippers, we played the Clippers. The next day, uh, we traveled to Utah. We went straight from the airport to uh, the arena, watched, had a video session, and then uh, some young guys worked out. The other guys went back to the hotel. So we do have opportunities to get in the gym, but it is contingent on our travel schedule. And now you are a big uh, walker. I mean, uh, that's something that you've really taken through the last few years, and, and a lot of your walking has been on the road. Are you still able to get those walks in? I do. I do. I've got uh, usually uh, on off days or even game days, get my five mile walk. I usually have some place, some route, every city I have a route that I take. And, uh, you know, so it's obviously the weather has to uh, be decent, but uh, I usually manage to get my five miles in um, on, on every road trip. Have you seen less people out and about when, when you are walking? Um. That's a good question. Uh, it kind of depends on the on the route. Like in LA, I was downtown, so obviously there were a lot of people out 
when I go in Utah, there's a, a canyon walk, and it was about same same amount of people that that I usually see out there. So I think I heard the other day that they said 21 out of 30 NBA teams uh, are having fans in the in the in the stands. I know Moda Center is not one of them as of yet. I mean, have you have you noticed in those arenas? Does it feel anything more like uh, games used to, or are there not enough fans to really make make it seem like it was before? Well, it doesn't feel like it did before, but certainly it feels different than having an empty arena. Like when we went to Utah, I don't know what the attendance was, but you could definitely feel that there were fans in the stands. And um, now it wasn't sold out and it didn't have a, that type of feeling, but you did notice the fans. I think uh, more and more the, the places where we've been, like Los Angeles didn't have fans, but um, – in the places that do have fans, you do notice that they're there. Spending a few more minutes with Trailblazers head coach Harry Stotts on our Believe in Blazers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Brian Wheeler with you. Uh, Blazer fans always worried about Damian's energy heading into the playoffs. Uh, do you share that concern? And if so, uh, do you foresee any load management, that, uh, that key term that's come into NBA existence here the last few seasons? Uh, do you foresee any of that load management uh, coming his way before the postseason? You know, I think um, I think it depends on what you call load management. A lot of time, um, people say load management is taking games off, which uh, he did. He didn't play against Orlando. Uh, he rested that game. He was kind of nursing an injury. Uh, for me, load management is more about off days, not having practices, uh, taking the load off in between games. Uh, I think everybody knows Dane doesn't like to miss games, uh, and he wants to play his normal minutes. So. A lot of that we leave up to him, uh, but certainly we're aware of it and are, we observe it. But even on uh, a day like today was, was an off day. He came in, he's getting treatment. Uh, so the recuperation for him is uh, also part of the whole idea of load management is managing. It's one of the reasons why we don't have shoot-arounds and do ballroom rock walkthroughs. So it just lessens the, the load that every player has on the days that, or even on the game days that, uh, that they don't have to do as much. So you had no game today, but you're coming off of back to back. So what was, what was today like in terms of a schedule for the guys? Well, today was, uh, we had six players who, uh, we required to come in, uh, the young guys, they, they just finished playing some four on four. Uh, and then the, the guys who play men's, the starters and some of the vets, uh, it was an optional day for them. So, they could come in, they could do what they want, or they, everybody had to come in and test, but um, they can come in and get treatment, they can get shots, they can get a lift in, or they don't have to come in at all. It's, uh, it's a voluntary day for them. So my high school math, he said six players came in and you've played four, four and four. So now... <laughs> well, we, we got Gennaro Pargo, Gennaro Pargo played. Okay, that's what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, and our uh, assistant video coordinator played, Jamal Gross. So that's good. They get, it's good to have these younger assistants around that can still participate if needed. Yes. That's, yes, it is. Now, uh, your game week begins, first meeting of the season tomorrow night at Moda against uh, Boston, coming off a very impressive road win. Uh, and, you know, some people think that maybe they haven't had quite the regular season that they were anticipated to have to this point, but they still look pretty dangerous to me and, and maybe, maybe a forgotten club when people are talking about uh, top contenders in the Eastern Conference. But uh, what concerns you most about them? 
Well, uh, they just had a, an impressive win at Denver. You know, they uh, I think they went on a 31 to three run. I'm just getting ready to watch that game, but it's uh, you know they've had their ups and downs as well. Their uh, I think their record doesn't uh, tell how good a team they are. They've got two great players with uh, Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown. Uh, they're going through some ups and downs, and uh, but they're a very talented team. They're getting healthy. Marcus Smart is back. Kemba's playing. So. Um, they can, they're a dangerous team that can score and they can defend. As you, uh, as you, when you talk about going to watch a game now, how will you watch that game from a, um, from a uh, um, start to finish standpoint, or will you pause it a lot to go back and look at certain plays that uh, come up, especially when it's something that in this case, Boston is doing. Um, I do a little bit of everything. Uh, so I'm, I'm given edits on, um, on the opponent that has their top plays, uh, their sideline out of bounds, baseline out of bounds, uh, in the game situation, things like that. And that's, that's uh, specifically geared towards their offense. Um, I, I'll watch the Denver game. I'll watch the whole game. Uh, then there are some games where I'll just watch their offense. We're able to edit the games where you just watch their offense, just watch their defense. So um, I'll, watch, uh, I'll watch all the Denver game. I'll probably watch – uh, just their defense of another game. I'm sorry, just their offense of another game and then the uh, specific edits. And then uh, the coaches tomorrow, we'll have a coaches meeting tomorrow and uh, the the assistant coach who scouted is will have uh, the edit ready that <clears throat> that will show the team. Is that the pretty much same routine for you when you go back uh, to review one of your team's games? Uh, well, I'll watch our whole game. You know, I and then... I'll watch the whole game, and then if I want to go back and watch specific clips or just the offense during a certain stretch or defense during a certain stretch, then I can do that. I know you're a very observant person. Are there a lot of times where you're in that uh, position of watching a game over again and you say, wow, I didn't, I didn't notice that when I saw that live? I mean, does that happen a lot, or, or is that, or you kind of as something is about to happen, it goes in your mind like, I really want to see – I remember this I remember this play about to happen. I really want to see it from this angle or whatever. Are there a lot of things that you've already got in your mind before the play even happens just from having been a part of that game, or are there a lot of things that sometimes it will surprise you that maybe you didn't catch the first time? Uh, I think uh, probably both of those are correct. Um, you know, the, the adage in coaching is when you go back and watch the video, you're not as bad as you thought you were or you're not as good as you thought you were. <laughs> so um, I, the video doesn't lie, and – you know, you learn it, you use it as a learning and a teaching tool more than anything else. And uh, I think it's a great tool to, to show players uh, how they can get better and what they did well, what they can do better, things like that. But when I watch the game, um, I see both. Uh, I see things that I didn't see during the course of the game. Uh, a lot of times the video will justify my thoughts during the game. One of the reasons why I'm reluctant to go into too much detail post game either with the team uh, or with the media is that uh, I want to watch the video because I want to be right about what I'm saying and uh, what you experience in lifetime isn't always uh, what really happened and uh, I don't like to be wrong and so I want to make sure that uh, what I saw really happened or um, or didn't whichever the case may be. So you're saying because many a coach uh, before you and not just in the NBA, but in all sports, 
has used the adage in a post-game press conference, I really got to see the, the, the film on that. I mean, that, that's not just a way of getting out of a question. That, that's an, that's an honest-to-goodness coaching answer that, uh, that, that really um, is, is, not, is not necessarily put out there to dodge a question. No, I think it's I think it's a very uh, I think it's a very honest answer to be honest, and especially uh, you know football. You got all these moving parts out there. I don't know how one coach could see what happened on a certain play until he went back and reviewed every position. So um, same thing with basketball to a degree. It's a fast moving sport. Uh, you could have been talking with the referee. You could have had a bad angle. Uh, you could have been sure as sure as anything that uh, they that what happened happened and it didn't. So um, it, it is important to watch, watch the video. And it, it is not a cop-out to not answer a question. It is not a cop-out uh, just to try not to answer a question. Well, I hope all those media people that thought that are listening to this and, and, uh, and understanding this first and foremost and for the last time that they understand it's not dodging a question because you don't dodge questions. I found that to be true. Uh, hey, uh, five out of the next seven at Moda uh, before your last long road trip of the regular season. Um, we're done. Uh, you, you made it. You made it through my very first uh, leaving Blazers podcast. I hope that it's not another 720 days before we can do another one of these. Well, Brian, it was good. Uh, it was good doing this again with you. I appreciate you asking me, Coach. Thanks uh, for the visit. Have a great rest of the day, and uh, good luck tomorrow against Boston. I know we'll catch up again soon. All right. Thanks, Brian. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.